welcome Transplant Pharmacy community to the holiday edition of the mTOR You Know podcast, the podcast produced by your ACCP IMTR PRN New Practitioner Council. My name is John Lyons, and I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. Alicia Lickvar, today. Uh, we have a jam-packed podcast for you. I won't spoil any of the surprises and leave that to the interview portion, but I did want to take a little bit of time to introduce our panel of guests who so graciously lent their time during a busy holiday season. We'll be joined today by Drs. Stacy Bernard, Sarah Bova, Brenda Astorga, as well as Reed Hall. A little bit of background on our guests, uh, starting with Dr. Bernard. Dr. Bernard was born and raised on a wheat farm in eastern Washington. She completed her PharmD at Washington State University. Following graduation, she worked at Erasmus Medical Center in Rotterdam in the Netherlands uh, in investigation, academia, and clinical teaching. Some unique opportunities that she had were working with regulatory research surrounding biosimilars, assessment and authorship of investigational medicinal product dossiers, as well as an international presentation on the first gene therapy in Europe. Additionally, she designed the curriculum for a master's class in pain management, taught medical students pharmacology, worked to design clinical patient cases for an electronic prescribing platform that was endorsed by the World Health Organization, as well as participated in clinical pharmacogenomics rounds. Despite her love for the Dutch life, uh, the direct patient care component of pharmacy practice in the U.S. beckoned. So Dr. Bernard pursued a PGY-1 residency at Hennepin County Medical Center with Dr. Tracy Anderson-Hag and a PGY-2 in solid organ transplant with Dr. Samir Patel at Houston Methodist Hospital. Being a proficient mover, uh, Stacy relocated to Rochester, Minnesota, where she remains working at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, her clinical practice mirrors the three shields of Mayo Clinic, spanning patient care, academia, and research. Within patient care, she cares for liver, heart, lung, as well as VCA services. She has dabbled in pediatric as well as outpatient roles. And Stacey also founded and is program director of the PGY-2 Solid Organ Transplant Pharmacy Residency at Mayo Clinic. Always one looking for innovative and creative ideas of patient care, she's also involved in investigator-initiated clinical trials and even pig face transplants. Dr. Sarah Bova grew up in Erie, PA, and completed her doctor of pharmacy degree at Ohio Northern University in Ada, Ohio, so she is a polar bear. <laughs> Following graduation, she completed her PGY-1 pharmacy residency and PGY-2 solid organ transplant pharmacy residencies at the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. Uh, Sarah was excited to stay in Baltimore after residency and joined the transplant pharmacy team at the University of Maryland Medical Center in August of 2020. As a transplant clinical specialist at UM MC, Sarah rotates through several services, spending most of her time with the kidney transplant team. Outside of pharmacy, she's very passionate about sailing and has spent over 100 days sailing in 2021. Dr. Brenda Astorga was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. She's a first-generation college student as well as a first-generation healthcare professional. Brenda obtained a Bachelor of Science degree in microbiology from the University of Texas at El Paso and her Doctor of Pharmacy degree at the University of Texas at Austin, Hookham. She completed her PGY-1 pharmacy residency at Methodist Hospital in San Antonio, Texas, where she discovered her interest and passion for solid organ transplantation. She also completed the faculty academia track of the Teaching and Leadership Fellows Program from the University of Texas at Austin and aspires to obtain a faculty appointment in the future. Brenda is currently the PGY-2 Solid Organ Transplant Pharmacy Resident at the University of Chicago Medicine under the direction of Dr. Lisa Potter. Her firsthand experience living in a borderland region drives her passion to care for and work with underserved and underrepresented patient populations. Outside of residency, Brenda enjoys exploring Chicago coffee shops and restaurants with friends as well as family and also having random adventures with her two dogs. Finally, last but not least, Dr. Reed Hall received his Doctor of Pharmacy degree from Midwestern University in Glendale, Arizona in 2007. He then completed his PGY-1 pharmacy residency as well as PGY-2 solid organ transplant residency at University Hospital in San Antonio, Texas, repping UH. Thank you, Reed. He's board certifi- certified in pharmacotherapy, the lead solid organ transplant clinical specialist 
Specialist, as well as the PGY2 Solid Organ Transplant Residency Program Director at University Health System and the University Health Transplant Institute in San Antonio, Texas. Dr. Hall also serves as an adjunct assistant professor for the University of Texas at Austin College of Pharmacy. Reed has previously served as chair-elect as well as chair of the ACCP Immunology Transplant PRN, and his research interests include anything that is pharmacotherapy and transplant-related. We can't thank y'all enough for joining us today. That is enough for me. I'm going to turn it over to the interview portion of our couch session. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome, Transplant Pharmacy community. Uh, This is our holiday edition of the mTOR You Know podcast, uh, the new podcast by our ACCP IMTR PRN New Practitioner Council. I'm John Lyons, and I'm joined by my co-host. The gang is back together, Alicia Lichtbar. We are happy to uh, be hosting a panel for This American Transplant Life, uh, I guess. Uh, We have Stacey Bernard, Brenda Storga, Sarah Bova, and Reed Hall with us. We're going to go over, I don't know, the the uh, one of the impetus uh, kind of statements for our podcast uh, for this edition was kind of a, a the ghosts of mid-year past, the ghosts of Christmas past, what have you. Um, so we are going to be kind of discussing kind of the evolution of everybody's experiences at mid-year. Um, we have uh, residency program directors, uh, people involved in residency programs, and residents uh, here. So we're hoping to get some great perspective uh, from everybody throughout their years, kind of going out through through mid-year. We're going to talk a little bit about life, how people celebrate the holidays. You know, um, I think one of the greatest parts about uh, kind of our our mid-year time and, and this time of year is is that we've got a little bit of a little bit of work and, and uh, a little bit of play as well. Um, so we definitely take some time away from our jobs to spend time with family, uh, friends, and everybody for the holidays. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Alicia to get started with our panel uh, right now. So thank you all for being here tonight. Um, and we're actually recording prior to Christmas. Um, so, uh, everybody's getting ready for the holidays. So it's, it's, uh, the time is much appreciated from everybody. So Alicia, let's get started. Awesome. So thank you so much, John. So having moved to California, this is my first, I will call it beach Christmas. So the fact that we're recording this prior to Christmas itself actually makes this the most holiday thing that I've done so far this year, or so it seems, because it's just nice outside and I'm always just used to snow. So mentally, I think when we think back on our mid-year experiences, for those of us that have been around a little bit for those of us that are newer to the game. Um, we all kind of walk away with mid-year stories and we all kind of have this mid-year evolution, if you will. So tell us about your first mid-year experience and how that kind of compares to, I guess, your most recent mid-year experience. Well, my first mid-year experience, uh, not to age myself, but was more than 10 years ago. And I, I honestly, I'm not even sure if I can remember because it was during the times when you join the kaleidoscope of pharmacy organizations. And so, you know, as that pharmacy student and you're just in everything, I kind of have the meetings run together. Um, But I do remember there was a lot of paper involved and printing of maps. And um, I kind of had an orthodox, you know, journey uh, back to residency after working for a bit. And so pre-PGY1, I wasn't able to make mid-year because it involved an international flight and um, time away. And uh, pre-PGY2, like my most vivid memory was, I mean, it had been like six years since I'd been at a a mid-year. And I sat down, you know, excited to get into solid organ transplant, have my first interview of my docket. And my expectation was kind of a meet and greet chat session And that wasn't how that particular center utilized the PPS space. And so I got the stairs and the, like, tell us why our center totally caught me off guard. (laughs) Trying to put my game face on, and I I don't even remember exactly what I said. It was probably something like, oh, I, you know, I'm impressed by what I've heard about you and hope to learn more. I mean, I'm sure that did not score me any points for that particular center, but um, it only got better from there. And I can say it's it's definitely different now um, as an RPD on the other side of mid-year than it was at that 
particularly horrifying moment as a P1, thinking that that I flushed my career down the toilet <laughs> um, with that first inter- interview answer. I always liken the PPS being like the worst iteration of speed dating that could ever exist because you're forced to make all of this small talk with programs and places. And when I think of PPS, you know, I feel like even seven years ago when I was going through it as a P4 at, in Vegas, everybody's very serious. Like it was like, you know, stone faced, you know, same, same song and dance, tell us why. And I know when I had the honor of recruiting last year, I was like, I'm not going to do that. It's not, not, it's not going to happen. Like it's not, it's going to be awkward, but it's not going to be like that. So I, I feel like there's a community have gotten maybe a little bit more casual and just kind of treated as like, we're talking to future colleagues, which I I think is really important. What do you have a similar like kind of progression? Yeah. This is my uh, first mid-year attending as an RPD. We had, uh, Helen Swice, my, our resident last time we recruited, um, attended mid-year and that was the last mid-year that was in person. Um, my very first mid-year was, um, interesting, you know, and, and Stacy, I had forgot about the papers and the maps and just like the full binders and then writing like the thank you cards. Uh, and then not emails and stuff. And, um, man, I, I'm, I have anxiety just thinking about all that. But, uh, so thanks for bringing that back. Appreciate it. But my very first mid-year was, was kind of the start and, and people ask me how I got into transplant and stuff, but that was kind of the start of where I tell people like, look, I will tell you my story, but I will tell you what I suggest you do. And that is not what I did. And so when, you know, as, as a, as a pharmacy student, when I was looking at PGY1 program, I kind of just, I didn't do PPS and, you know, I kind of, I wandered around the showcase and just saw this booth where they had a ton of people in front of it. And it just happened to be like the UT, uh, UT booth and walked up and one of the, the UH residents was like, Hey, um, you know, what, what, what program are you looking for? And, and, you know, what can I help you with? And I was like, well, I don't know. I just saw these people over here and thought, you know, well, something good is over there. So, you know, what program are you and tell me about it. Right. And so that's how I stumbled into university hospital, uh, where I did my PGY one and my PGY two. And, and so, you know, that's kind of the start of, of my first mid-year and, and mid-years back as a PGY one, which was 2007. Um, you know, it was, it was a different landscape, right? I mean, every, you know, you, you had the internet, but you had it in your room, um, you know, not, you didn't really, I don't think I even had a smartphone. So everything you were writing up, everything was written down. Everything was a paper. Everything was a map, like a printed map. Right. So if you remember back in the day when, when you'd print off like, you know, Yahoo directions to and from places, that was basically all of mid-year and, and, you know, and, and I had early committed. And so I helped us recruit and stuff at, at our PPS booth, but it was, it was just a different, it was a little bit of a different world there because that was that really was the Mecca and that's what there was to recruit. And that's what there was to reach out and network and stuff like that, because we didn't have all of, all of the the digital stuff that we have today. I mean, if you have Helen Swice recruiting for anything, let me just start you off by saying that woman can sell ice to the Eskimos. So program obviously in very good hands under that recruitment season. I know for me, when I went through it, I was the first year that forecast was a thing. So prior to that, everybody was telling us, oh, you have to mail this. Oh, you know, when you mail them overnight, get receipts. And then forecast came out. And I think for my presidency year, we like we just didn't know what to do with it. It was just very new. And the formatting for the letters of recommendation was so different than what historically was in the past where you just write a traditional letter um, versus the different components. So our year is just kind of like the experiment year. For our newer practitioners, so Brenda and Sarah, tell us about you know your first time at mid-year, which was in-person for Brenda and then virtual and then Sarah for you, um, which has also been kind of a hybrid of in-person and then. So I'll start with my disclaimer is that I've actually only been to in-person mid-year twice. Um, The first year I went when I was a P6 in Orlando, um, my mentors had prepared me for the craziness that is the residency showcase, Um, but it was definitely still overwhelming. There's so many people 
I felt like it was like a scavenger hunt. I had a checklist of the programs I wanted to talk to, and I was walking around trying to find them, trying to remember what each one said and keep them all straight and ask all of my questions. Um, it was much, much easier when I went back as a PGY2 to recruit for our programs um, and to do PPS job interviews. That was in Vegas, and it was just overall so much more fun definitely much less intimidating at the showcase when you're on the recruiting side. It's, it's very exciting to talk about your program and share all the great things you've done for the year. Um, and I'll also say the PPS job interviews are very different than the residency interviews, very different than the residency showcase. And so that was also much less stressful um, than the residency search process. What's, what made it so different between, I guess, the resident recruitment and then looking for a job? Like what was the tone difference that you noticed the most? I think when it comes to interviewing for jobs, they're definitely a little bit more casual. These people are most likely going to be your coworkers. And so they're making, want to make sure that you're going to be a good fit with their team. They know that you're coming from a strong residency program. And so it's a lot less questions on trying to figure out how you're going to learn and if you're qualified to complete, to perform the job and more focused on the culture of the organization, what the job structure looks like, what they're team's all about. I think I've kind of shared the same thing too. I know that Frida didn't have us go to mid-year when we were looking for jobs, but I, I've always felt like when I interviewed, it was like, I'm talking to a colleague. It was just, do I want to work in that city that that colleague's at or with that colleague's team? Brenda, what about you? Tell, tell us about your, your two oh, very goodness. different mid-year experiences. So look, I'm going to start by saying that I've only lived in a forecast world. So when I think about shipping off your uh, interview materials, I think about the old days when you would write a letter and put it in a bird's mouth and hope that it made it. I don't understand how birds ever knew to deliver it to the right person, but I can't imagine a world uh, before forecasts. Um, I attended Las Vegas for mid-year in person. And, you know, during pharmacy school, you go through like classes and they walk you through what mid-year will be like. Then you get there and you're like, oh man, this is it. So it was just really weird walking through like the casinos and like, you know, bands playing music and you're like, oh man, there's so much on the line right now, but this just looks so much fun. But, you know, then you get to like the PPS site and there's just a bunch of booths and they're all covered and you're like, where am I even going? So, and then you walk in and it's like a really tight space and you're like sweating. I remember I like strained my hair by the time I got there it was like I was sweating it was like curly in some places wavy in others I feel like everyone has like their embarrassing mid-year story um but virtually it was pretty straightforward because you kind of just if there's no like electronic network issues kind of just log on and you know you talk to people and you're not really like like at showcase you're looking for somebody's attention like you're standing in the back and you're looking like who's going to make eye contact with me first? Like, who do I approach? Um, so just very, very different experiences. I felt like virtual mid-year was just, um, from my side, it was easier to, to approach. You knew who you were going to talk to at what time. Um, if you went in for the showcase, you could chat with people. Um, so it was less stressful in that sense. I also had like a fan on, I was wearing like shorts and like you know, my upper half looked great. My bottom half was super casual. So I was very comfortable. So it's been really different, but I think, you know, virtual mid-year is, is good because it is a more cost-efficient and I feel like you get more out of it because everyone's focused on, you know, you at that time and you know who to talk to. But it's been, it's been interesting to see both sides of it in like two years because of COVID. Yeah, any day that I can be like J. Crew up top, but Walmart on the bottom makes me very happy. Like that's a win. That's a win kind of day for me. That's a so big like, win. It's a big win. Like <laughs> sweatpants. Like I was living my best slipper dream. Like when I was recruiting for mid-year virtually, I was like, this is like, I had blisters. Like I had, like, I'm not a heel walker. Like I wore scrubs, most of residency and you're going to put me in what kind of shoes? Like, honey, I'm going to roll, I'm going to roll my ankle. Like it's going to be bad. So it, like I was living my best life when I got to like, basically come in like glorified sweats and just like throw on a blazer. But you mentioned like mid-year stories. So I have to put 
I have to put Reed in the hot seat because Reed and yes. John, Reed and John go back a long time. John and I go back a long time, all the way back to our pit days. Reed, we need to hear like one mid-year story that, that you can say on the podcast. So, you know, I don't necessarily have a John mid-year story. I didn't go to mid-year with John. I, I have probably some, I believe it's, well, was it mid-year ATC recordings? No, that was mid-year. I, I, have, a, I have a mid-year recording of, of John wishing me a happy birthday. That is, is uh, you know, one of the highlights of my career, you know, just that they would even think about me on my birthday to wake me up at that time in the morning. But, you know, I, I think, you know, there's, there's the thing I think that we kind of miss is there were times at mid-year and, you know, I haven't always been the RPD and, and gone to mid-year for that, but there's, there's different times when you meet somebody at PPS and then you'll say, Hey, we're going to go out here, you know, hang out later tonight or have drinks or whatever you run into people. And then, you know, you kind of sit down with them in a non-formal setting and, and get a different view of, of that person. Right. Which that can happen. Um, without, you know, without being there in person, you know, and, and so I think some of that like personal interaction is, is missed or you run into them when you're out later, like, Hey, we talked to you today. How's it going? You know? And I think they, you know, the candidates get to see a little bit of lighter side of you. You get to see a little bit of lighter side of them, you know? And so there's, I think a little bit of that is, is this kind of where we, where we get missed, you know, you know, mid-year used to be, there used to be a company that would throw big parties and stuff and, and everybody would look for, I think it was usually like a set of beads or something to get in. And, and it was, it was quite the party, uh, you know, and, and so I guess one of those things, I think if you know, you know, but you know, I think some of those types of interactions, they're just a less formal interaction and a little bit more of you get to see who the people are when they're not on professionally necessarily or completely on professionally. And you can say, Hey, how's it going? And uh, you know, that's, I think you get as much from that as you do from like a PPS interview. I think, uh, Reed, I appreciate you remembering that story. Actually, I think that night that I wish you a happy birthday, I put your birthday in my calendar. So it's always on my phone now and I missed it this year. So I forgot to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, it's kind of piggyback off of that. Uh, I actually have a very good Barrett story. Um, our very own Barrett Crowler from, uh, from mid-year. It was uh, my PGY one year. I was looking to for PGY two programs and had a, had an interview with, with Barrett and Pam Maxwell the next day. And I actually ran into some of the, the pre current PGY one residents and PGY two residents, uh, at university health system. And, uh, and so we're, we're all having drinks and chatting and they're like, Oh, they're like, are, are you applying? You know, what's, uh, what's the deal with, with uh, your PGY two interests this year? And so I was talking, talking to them, we were having a couple of drinks and I go, you know, I was like, it's like, I heard Barrett's taking over the PGY2 program. You know, I really liked meeting him last year when I interviewed for PGY1. It's like, I'm just re really nervous, like, you know, that, that uh, I didn't burn any bridges or anything like that. And sitting at the bar is Barrett. He just turns around in his chair with a beer in his hand. He goes, let's have a drink. How's it going, buddy? And then, and so, so the next, the next day, you know, we had a few drinks. We were talking about, you know, doing, talking about residencies and life in general and everything. And the next morning, uh, he was my first interview at PPS and, and, uh, I mean, it was in new Orleans. So, you know, um, even after we parted the ways for the evening, who knows what, what happened, but we were both kind of hurting the next day. And he just takes one look at me. We're both, we both got a bottle of water and he goes, maybe we should get some coffee and i was like yeah that sounds great so we go get our coffee go back to the pps booth of course pam is dressed to the nines you know ready for the interview because she's the outgoing rpd it's her her uh you know last recruitment year formally uh so to speak and she sits down and she goes I don't know what happened between you two last night, but I don't want to hear about it. nothing here. <laughs> and so we just had a little chuckle to ourselves and went on with the interview. And the rest was history. As, as I say, I was Barrett's first resident at UH. <laughs> but I think this kind of brings up, uh, you know, I mentioned New Orleans. Um, I think if this question hasn't been asked yet. The people need okay. to know. Okay. So, you know, speaking about New Orleans, I, I think we have to, uh, we have to go through the group and ask everybody their favorite mid-year location. You know, obviously I kind of started first, um, you know, with, with New Orleans. I mean, something about seeing pharmacists at the cat's meow at any hour of the night, singing any karaoke, 
pretending to play guitar on stage. I mean, it's always a great time, you know, nothing, nothing kind of beats all the, all the, the fun outside of the, the convention center, um, at new Orleans, more for kind of the social and outside of, uh, the actual convention center networking that happens. Um, but let's have everybody, you know, talk about what their, their favorite spot for mid-year is. Or if it hasn't gone to the city that you want like what city would you want mid-year to be in? Because we know it has a very short rotation. So we'll we'll start we'll start from the top. We'll go with Stacy first. We'll put you in the hot seat first. Well, I, I somehow I've missed every New Orleans mid-year. And after hearing these tales, I, I'm thinking that that needs to be on the the short list of places to go for mid-year. Um, my, our adventures were usually found, I guess, in Las Vegas, which would probably be, I guess, the West equivalent. Um, I don't know. I, I've always been kind of jealous of ACCP going to uh, New York just because you get such variety. I think it would be a, ne- a neat place to have a, a mid-year convention. Yeah, when ACCP was in NYC for 2019, I, I think it's one of the best conference cities. It's easy to get around. It generally like compared to other cities, you have the mass transit and then you just, you just have literally every option under the sun, um, for karaoke, for food, for whatever. I wish more places went to New York city for conferences for sure. What about you, Reed? So I've actually never been to, to mid-year in New Orleans either. So, you know, it's, it's something that I would like to experience, I think. You know, but honestly, I always enjoyed in, in San Diego, like ATC in San Diego was always, uh, was, was a lot of fun. And, and so I've, I've always enjoyed San Diego. The weather's always good. You get out, you walk around, there's stuff to do. That's, you know, not just the conference, you know, and I, you know, I would like to see it go there just cause it's, it's a, it's a good place to, it's a good place to have a conference. I assure you, I would give you a great itinerary of non-conference things to do in my new hometown. <laughs> that I mean, would be expected for sure. Oh, for sure. There's like, to me, it's a, a great mix. Like it's not just like the food, which they have like good food options. And it's not just the downtown, which again, like plus or minus, but if you want to hike, like you can go hike. If you want to go to the beach, you can go to the beach. Like you can have your, a very different choose your own story, like convention that, that's kind of very adaptable to kind of what you're looking for. And I, I like that in a conference city too. So 10 out of 10 recommend come to San Diego. It's sunny a lot of the time. Uh, what about, what about you, Sarah? So I went to mid-year in Vegas and I was not a huge fan. There's just something about waking up to go to a job interview in a suit and like people drinking and smoking in the casinos as you're walking there. It was just not appealing. One of my favorite conference locations was an APHA conference and it was in San Francisco. Yeah. I think they went there in Uh, maybe like 2016 or 2017. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was when I was a fellow because I remember Rita took us to this restaurant that was like at the top of their hotel that like spinned around. And I just remember having a glass of wine up there with Rita. And I was like, is this how I know I I made it? Like I'm going to be a transplant pharmacist? (laughs) What about you, Brenda? Well... I'm going to say I'm jealous of the people that have gone to New Orleans, um, <laughs> John, but, uh, I guess the only place I've been to have been, has been Las Vegas. Um, I do remember as I was leaving, there was a big sign that said, see you next year in New Orleans. And I was like, Oh man, I'm so excited. I hear the food is so good. Um, and then COVID happened. So I think I would like Seattle. I just haven't been there. Um, but I wish New Orleans happened last year. I think Seattle ATC always gets uh, positive reviews. Um, you know, I, I definitely feel bad that you didn't have kind of the full experience, you know, some, especially PGY one, you know, uh, in, and even PGY two, some, some great memories are formed there, obviously different time and everything like that, but can't complain about being honestly, Alicia, I'm like thinking the title of the podcast has to be J crew on top, Walmart on the bottom <laughs> kidding, but that's such a great phrase. Yeah. Um, so there, Heard it there here is first. Some, Rita yeah, rolls. no, exactly. Somewhere in somewhere in San, somewhere in Cincinnati, Rita's ears have perked up, and she knows one of her fellows has poor taste in fashion. Hope uh, ATC stays in person in Boston. I also have never been to Boston, so I hear great things. It was in it was so the last ATC was in Boston, so in a very like weird 
sense, it feels like a homecoming, like back to normality, if that were to happen. So fingers crossed. So it kind of now that we're all like reflecting on like our mid-year, one of the other big milestones that happens right at the same time, we've all gone through it. It's like the gauntlet of how you know you're in trading or how you know you're a transplant pharmacist is surviving ATC abstracts, um, which coincidentally are always the same weekend. You're always pushing submit. I remember pushing submit as I was like boarding the plane to a mid-year. 10 out of 10 don't recommend. But for me, ATC abstracts are also kind of the threshold for, okay, that's done. Now it's Christmas. So for you guys, how do you think of or view the holidays kind of around this like mess of like Thanksgiving, then ATC, then mid-year? Like how do you fit in the holidays during this really stressful time for yourselves? Well, I, I think back to before I was an RPD and I, the holidays started like two days before I realized I should have taken a turkey out of the freezer. And then they probably wrapped up like when I had to put on my third layer of clothes living in a cold climate sometime early January. But now, now that I'm an RPD, I don't, it all kind of runs together, doesn't it? Like, I think I don't feel Christmassy till like post PPS maybe, but then it's just a blur until like my, my way of sanity is that I always take a week of PTO, like the second week of February because it's a reward because you like for, for us, I'm done with interviews. Like you submitted ranks, like it's out of your hands, you're done. And it's also like month eight of winter in Minnesota. It feels like, and so you just need to go warm somewhere warm. So it's, it's your own version of Christmas in July. It's just warm weather in February. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And in COVID, even like a warm hot tub outside would, would suffice. It, it actually, we, we did that. We went to a like cabin type place for just to get the outdoor hot tub. And unfortunately it was negative 30 that week in Wisconsin. So you still couldn't be outside in the hot tub. It's like, well, so that happened in Chicago once when we had polar vortex and I basically looked like the child from the Christmas story. Like you can't put your arms down. I had like a parka. I have to wear my glasses or I'm rendered pretty much blind. And I had like my skiing goggles on just to go outside to like walk the dog um, who I put in my own hoodie because I'm a good dog mom and her coat and her boots and socks. It was, she, she was not having it. Barbie was not having a good day. But I, I can't like that to hear that baseline for Minnesota. I it just ugh. <laughs> read. I know you do something like your team does something very cool every year for the holidays. How does how does the pharmacy team get in the spirit down in San Antonio? So we've started um, we call ourselves a transplant pharmacy group. That's, you know, TPG is what we kind of named ourselves. I'm going to have to give John some credit here as much as it pains me. Uh, we've started doing a thing where we'll have like a little get together at my house. I'll have everybody over and I'll, you know, I'll smoke some pork and everybody will kind of bring a little dish. And sometimes we'll do our gift exchange there. We do, we've started doing a secret Santa uh, within our little pharmacist group. And, and, and so that's kind of how we do it now, you know, um, as far as like my house, like I have people over and stuff, the secret Santa, like I participate, but you know, I like other people to set it up and, and do all that stuff. But you know, that's how we kind of get into the, in, 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 into the spirit. Um, it helps me with abstracts where I've kind of got to the point where I schedule my residents dedicated research time prior to getting abstracts in. So I'm not, you know, we're not reviewing abstracts at nine or 10 o'clock at night on the due date. Um, submitting on the due date is fine. Uh, submitting at nine or 10 o'clock, been there, done that. No, thanks. You know, I, I, we have the power to schedule around it. And so that's kind of what we do. Uh, but yeah, the, the little get together here is kind of how we, we, we get into the spirit in, in San Antonio, you know, and usually we can go outside cause it's warm. And then for you guys down, like, I mean, Maryland obviously has one of the deepest crews and now like it's a really young practitioner group. Like I can't imagine you guys don't do something festive for the holidays. Um, what do you guys, how, do, how does team Maryland celebrate Sarah? So unfortunately COVID's really put a damper on our um, holiday celebrations. I feel like I've been there both, both Christmas times now have been during COVID. Um, so we haven't been really able to have any 
large celebrations, um, but there's definitely many a happy hours after work um, to celebrate and team bonding, which is always a lot of fun. Now, Brenda, I know like Chicago also has had its COVID surge this year. What what did you guys do, if anything, at UCM or what have you done it in San Antonio in, uh, in the holidays past during your PGY1? I mean, during PGY1, it was like COVID as well. And now it's Omicron. Um, but uh, we, we did Secret Santa. It's actually my first year doing Secret Santa. So it's really fun to try and figure out who the person behind the gifts is. But I knew it was Christmas when my one of my co-residents, um, shout out to Eliza, um, she sent a poll um, asking the group what the best Christmas song was. And Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You uh, beat out Ariana Grande's Santa Tell Me. So, um, you know, I feel like Mariah Carey and hearing that you're like, whether you like it or not, Christmas is starting. And uh, and yeah. But there's been no snow in Chicago. I'm still waiting. I I can't believe that. I feel like I, the year that I leave, it's like actually we're not going to have snow. So actually, it's okay. a record record breaking like, uh, warmth in for Chicago. A like hundred hundred and twelve years go by, and this is the year that Chicago decides not to actually like snow at all. It's very different. Yeah. I know we at UIC, they're huge Secret Santa people. I love, I love a Secret Santa. One of my things that we started this year at UCSD was um, alcohol white elephant. So basically everybody brings like a, you know, bottle of wine of their choice, beer of their choice, like whatever you, you think represents you and like you want to share and we white elephant. Um, but to incite, you know, the, the steel of white elephant, um, I had to kind of mix it up. So I, I brought Bud Light <laughs> because no one wants that. So we, we, uh, we livened it up a little bit. I went home with a very nice red shout out to Janice Kerr for like having wonderful taste in wine. The Bud Light made its way to our, our, our PD Mark who uses it, who used it as, as a softball beer league. So all, all's well that ends well, but I think I think it's a tr- tradition that's probably going to stick. John, what do you guys do at Loyola? I know, like you and Phoebe, always have something up your sleeves. Yeah, we um. So our pharmacy group, because we're, we're kind of siloed in, in some of our uh, in our, our organ groups. So in our lung transplant group specifically, we do Secret Santa. To this day, probably one of the greatest gifts I ever received um, from one of my nurse practitioners. She had made a, uh, she stole a photo of my dog, Bella, short for Bellaticeps or Bellaticeps for those who are crazy about correct pronunciation. She actually turned it into a mask. So it was right when COVID, we, we've, uh, it, the first one that I did, it was really when, when COVID kind of started. Um, and so we were all doing masks and things like that. She actually made uh, my dog's picture into a mask. So like I can walk around with Bella on my face, which is kind of hilarious. Scary. If you're like far away, you're like, what the heck's on this dude's mask. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of great when, when the team comes together, despite, you know, everything with the virus going on and, and obviously our current surges and overcrowding of our hospitals and everything like that. But I, I think that kind of segues really nicely into one of our next kind of talking points, you know, with COVID and, and really now two years of, of uh, mid-year and PPS really being all virtual, um, you know, I, I'd be curious to see what the group thinks uh, about, you know, kind of where we see mid-year PPS going? Do we see that it's becoming more obsolete and, and kind of going away? Like, how do we see recruitment changing, you know, in the coming years, given that, you know, we really had two years where we've really had to be creative um, and kind of think outside the box a, a, about this? So, you know, and I think this is, this is kind of a question that, you know, I think a lot of people are asking is, especially if you're traveling, it gets very expensive for the health system. It's very expensive for the residents. It's very expensive, you know, kind of, kind of for everyone. And, and is there a better way, you know, this year we had kind of tried to, to do an open house. Um, but at the same time, you, you, you've got to be able to get out there to, to reach the people that want to attend the open house. And they don't always know how to find you and you don't always know how to find them. The nice thing about PPS is everyone kind of knows, you know, people, there's going to be some people there. And, and so I think, you know, it's possible to go that way, whether it's open house, whether it's outside of PPS visits, you know, setting up zoom calls or, or, or working through different, you know, pharmacist groups, transplant pharmacist groups to, to reach the students 
and to have this reach the students, reach the PGY ones and have them kind of um, be able to come in and talk to you, whether it is, you know, online open houses or one-on-one phone calls or zoom meetings or whatever. I, I think it's definitely something that's doable. Um, you know, our open house was, was fairly successful this year. We didn't have a ton of people there, but you know, the, the residents that were there, you know, I think got a lot out of it and, and, and we got a lot out of, you know, talking to them. So I, I think it's probably doable. Um, how that's done, I think is yet to be seen. You know, I couldn't even imagine doing a virtual PPS, you know, five, six years ago, but you know, here we are. And, you know, I locked myself in a room and, you, you know, you do a bunch of 30 minute interviews and, and talk to people. And it's kind of cool. Cause you talk to probably somebody who's going to be your, your next resident or, or a future colleague. And, and that's, that's always fun to do. I think you touch on something that's really important. And I think that's the system that we had in place was just kind of set in stone for a while. And we had a lot of, a lot of considerations, right? Like cost was a huge barrier to entry for a lot of people to attend PPS, to like apply to places. So I think like COVID did something in terms of creating a fulcrum for that. I felt like recruiting during PPS for me virtually last year, I felt like I was able to like get, get the vibes from each candidate that I wanted to. Like, I felt like, you know, you, you make it the experience that you want when you're recruiting. Like if you want to have a, a more formal interaction you can, um, if you want to just t- talk about Chicago and like talk about, you know, things that you like about the center and make it like the more of a get to know you can. And I felt like seeing both sides of it, I didn't feel like at least for PPS, it detracted for job search. I feel like it's kind of a different, the, the permanency is different. Stacy, I know you were re- recruiting last year for PPS. What, what were your thoughts on the the virtual recruiting modality that of that year? Yeah, I can I can uh, kind of agree with with what you said, and that it, I I personally like um, the convenience for candidates and and us alike. I think uh, being a great equalizer um, and and not having that cost constraint or travel um, barriers for candidates is really nice. Um, you know, even for programs, given that some programs support more or less than, than other programs. Uh, so for the PPS phase, from an RPD perspective, I, I really enjoyed the virtual. Totally agree that jobs, it's, um, it's a different ballpark. For the post-PPS, I will say, for like the, the interview, I know our hospital still doing virtual this year. And, and that, when it's a when it's a smaller group and there is that permanence that you spoke of with a job, because it's it's a one-year job, but sometimes they segue into staff positions. I, I do miss the in-person for, for that aspect of it. Totally agree. Now, like for you, Brenda and Sarah, having just been on the other end of that, both for jobs and for PGY2 you know, applications and things like that. This is the, this is the hot seat, right? This is when people are turning in their applications. This is when people are stressing out about did forecast receive, you know, their transcripts again. Like, so for, for that candidate that may be looking for their PGY2 or maybe looking for their job after training, like what advice do you have them kind of in this hot seat time period? a great question. I, I remember it can certainly be a stressful time. You're, you know, in the middle of residency and trying to keep up with all the residency stuff. And now you're adding on job search stuff, but it's definitely important. Um, so I definitely encourage our current residents to start early. I think like starting at around the time of mid-year is good um, to start seeing what programs are out there. Um, I definitely also would recommend kind of warning people that the timeline is not like residency. It's not going to be an application deadline, an interview deadline. And so um, it can be very stressful because, you know, the jobs that are available at PPS are not going to be the only jobs. And so if you don't see something that you like at PPS, that's perfectly fine. You don't need to apply for jobs that you interview with at PPS. Um, There likely will be additional jobs coming out. And so just making sure that you're staying on top of those um, as you do see emails and submit applications applications, um, because it's really going to be on you to kind of follow up um, on each of those positions. Um, Yeah, and I would say the best advice I can give is just to like really, um, really reflect and and know what your needs are. 
um, as we kind of stay in this virtual setting, it's sometimes hard to gauge what the environment is like. Um, and so when you're thinking about programs that you're applying to jobs, when you're thinking about, you know, if, if you do get uh, an invitation to interview, um, make sure that the questions that you're asking are will give you the information that you need to make that decision. So you really have to know what do I need um, so that you're able to get that information from the programs independent of, of other factors um, and also where you are in life and thinking about the city where you're you know, going to be living or um, training, working, um, thinking about other logistical things, um, living. So just really know yourself, know what you need, what your personal needs are, professional needs are, um, and ask those questions and look for places that, that will provide you with that um, as you transition either into PGY2 or as you transition into your first or, you know, even other jobs. Um, so I thought when you interviewed, when you interviewed at UIC, I, I thought you had some of the most thoughtful questions. Um, like you get, you tell like there is a lot of thought that went into it. And I think to ask good questions, you know, obviously you have to know yourself really well for you, Brenda, like what's, what's your like favorite question that you ask programs to kind of get information that you were personally looking for? Um, well, I think, I think a, a really important thing, uh, thing for me is as a trainee is the support. And I think that goes really for anybody, but um, it depends on the type of support that you need, and you can find different uh, type of support with different programs. So um, just understanding, um, I'm really big on, you know, building relationships and um, networking and talking to people. And um, so just knowing what will my relationship be like with my RPD, uh, what will it be like with my preceptors, Um and what other support is available for the rest of the year. And not just professionally, but also personally, things come up and you don't really prepare for those moments. So what kind of support is offered when things happen out of nowhere and you're finding yourself either in an emergency situation or you know, you're sick, things like that. So um, I just try to think of everything that could happen that year, which is a lot, but you know, just anticipate what, what things could come up where I would need support. Um, so I think for me, support was probably one of the, the main things that I was looking for and I found. Uh, and, and for you, Sarah, I know, so I disclaimer for everybody listening, Sarah has a very unique trait about her job and that she doesn't have her work email on her phone, which for some of us blow, blows our minds. It does. Even if you don't, you know, currently have it for, for some of us, we do, and we can't fathom a world maybe without that. So for you, Sarah, going around to these, these jobs, you know, trying to figure out their culture and work-life balance, you know, how did you kind of navigate that when you were on your job search? Yes. Um, and Alicia, you are correct. I do not have my email on my phone. I have to give a big shout out to Brian Masters. He was my first manager at University of Maryland, and he was a huge supporter of work-life balance. And so I think that really stuck with me and kind of launched my career in the right direction. Um, so asking about work-life balance during an interview can, can be a little tricky. You often don't want to just come out right out and say, like, will I always be at work? Like, will I ever be able to leave at three o'clock? Um, and so different ways that you could get, get around this or, or start to ask these questions, you can ask um, what the leadership does, what the leadership team does to promote resiliency. That's kind of like a buzzword among ASHP right now. And so I think it would definitely be appropriate to ask that question. You know, what is the pharmacy department doing? to promote this. Um, you could also consider asking about like the structure for weekend or cross coverage, um, evening cross coverage, seeing if they maybe have a pager that's shared. Um, for example, I only carry a I'm only responsible for the pager every six weeks versus some of my friends are maybe responsible for responding to pages every day of the week. Um, so really just asking questions. Um, I would say ask questions to the managers that you interview with, but then also ask questions to like your the pharmacist that you're going to interview with um, and, and kind of compare the answers between the two groups um, to kind of kind of get an idea of what their uh, work-life balance currently is. 
the more you can ask about things like you mentioned, like cross coverage. And I just say like transitions, like transition of shifts, um, any of those like points kind of let you know, like, is there, is there a cutoff? And I think like the way you asked it was like, so great. And I'm like, other people have to hear it. So it's going to be on this podcast in some, in some capacity. Um, because I feel like everybody, especially after two years of COVID looking for jobs, I think that's something that is a higher priority or it's, it's in the frontal, you know, lobe of your brain in ways that it might've not been, you know, a couple years ago or, so for you, uh, Stacy, and then Reed, you know, on the flip side, you know, you have to ask, you, you're asking the questions this season. So for you guys, you know, what are some questions you feel like you get good information from or good read from a resident on, or do you guys view the interview as just the sum of its parts and they're all kind of equal, but synergistically, they kind of add up to something bigger. Go with the latter because nothing's really popping out. I think it's really, um, you know, I we 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 have you know official questions that we ask, but I mean they're pretty broad to be honest. And, and in this like couch session that we're having right now, I'm reflecting and thinking that maybe that traumatizing like first mid year is the reason why. But I don't have a terribly structured approach, and because house I. I I guess my biggest priority is that the person across from me is comfortable because I think that's how you're going to find out if it's a good fit and that that's going to help them determine if it's a good fit. And so what that comfort looks like or what gets that person to that place is different for everyone. And so we just kind of roll with it and take cues from the person across from us and make the session be what they need it to be. And, and for me, that's the most telling, um, not which direction they take it, but just the, the totality of that experience. I feel like when you have a really good conversation with the resident, it just feels like you're ta- like you're talking to a colleague. Mm-hmm. Like I always like asking, for example, like you know what I always like to ask, what are you most proud of? Because it was a question that I was asked as a as a PGY one that from Heather Johnson's like question deck that like always stood out to me. I, that question really resonated with me, and so like you carry it forward. Like, I think when you, you, like you said, you make the candidate relaxed, you can just have this such deep and just like such a good conversation that like you're, to me, like I would always get excited, like, oh, this person's going to be a transplant pharmacist too. Yes. Yeah. Another one. And Um, I think that's the thing. Like if that passion for transplant is there, that connection will almost happen organically between you. And it looks different for different, different people. Yeah. I really feel like with this change with COVID, you know, going to kind of this virtual setting and, and doing PPS virtually where the candidate can really be kind of in their own comfort zone. I feel like if there's any positive I can pull out of, of this whole ordeal over the past couple of years is, is that is you really can form that connection. You know, everybody's kind of in a comfortable environment. I feel like, you know, it, it was mentioned earlier, like by Brenda about, you know, how hectic everything is. And I felt like I always remembered walking into the PPS hall and there was just kind of this like air and vibe of like, things were a little bit quieter. You know, there was like a, an airy silence. There was a little bit more tension there and it wasn't the crazy hecticness of the rest of mid-year. And it kind of created a little bit of, I mean, its own type of stress. And then when you go behind the curtain and you're sitting there, you know, you got either the the coordinator and the director or the coordinator and and a resident director and resident, what have you, you know, you almost have to kind of get in a mindset of, okay, I'm I'm in an interview and it changes kind of the the whole, I guess, for lack of a better word, vibe of the situation. Now that everybody's kind of in a more comfortable environment, you know, you're in your comfort zone. You can be more thoughtful about questions. I, I, I really do hope. And, you know, even just hopefully speaking to, to colleagues around the country who are residency program directors, you know, I really hope that does lead to some more meaningful kind of recruiting, um, for lack of a better phrase, because, you know, you really get to know the person kind of in their own, you know, comfort zone. And then they're comfortable asking some of the, the tough questions. You know, I do hope that we hit a point in, in life and in our careers where we can ask about work-life balance, but you know, that's something that, that every resident should ask and hopefully creating a, a more comfortable environment with, kind of a virtual PPS, um, does allow for that. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's very interesting, you know, I kind of how, you know, things have changed and how we, uh, you know, we, we are allowed to, you know, be a little bit more comfortable in this virtual setting. 
I think it's the Walmart on the bottom. Oh, for sure. Like, the bottom. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's sweatpants. That, that needs to be a hashtag. That needs to be a trending Twitter hashtag. <laughs> J. Crew on the top, Walmart, Walmart on the bottom, bottom, and then have people submit their pictures. This has to be a thing. I feel like make the, it happen, Alicia. The minute the minute Rita hears that, <laughs> she will know exactly who that came from. She, if you had to be like, which fellow said this, she'd be like, Oh, I know. <laughs> so, so for you, Reed, like you know, you you you've kept residence, you've been RPD, you've been a preceptor at that program. You know, for you, how do you kind of build your interview day, or do you kind of keep the structure and the spirit that you know? Pam and Barrett had before you? I mean, I don't know if it, I'm not a super formal person in general. It's just, it's not who I am and, and that's fine. And so, you know, PPS interviews, I approached it more from a recruitment standpoint than an interview standpoint where, you know, I'd, I'd ask the candidates and say, you know, look, ask your questions that you want to ask and I'll answer them. And if we get through 30 minutes and that's it, then great. If not, and I feel like I've missed something, then I'll fill you in. But at the end of the day, I want you to make sure that you understand what my program, what our program is, and you can compare programs, right? And so you get all your questions out and and you can sit down and look at those programs. And so, you know, I, I think there are some, you know, formal things in an interview, especially if you're on site, right? And so, you know, you're going to meet with surgeons and hepatologists and nephrologists and management and, and stuff like that. And those are a little bit more formal. You know, you're going to meet with me and, and Elizabeth, the the program coordinator. And, and you know, sometimes that can be a little bit more formal. But I think, you know, in general, you know, just letting us know who you are is, is, is what I want. Because as a resident, it's, it's going to be a tough year. Right. And you're going to be put in, things are going to get, you know, stressful and a little bit hectic and a little bit uncomfortable, but you know, we, you grow outside of your comfort zones and, and things like that. So I think, you know, there's a good mix of like being in a comfort zone versus, you know, kind of being like, all right, let's see what happens when you kind of get pushed to those limits outside of that comfort zone. Cause at the end of the day, that's really where you grow. And so we, you know, I, I try and kind of highlight that within the residency and, 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 you know, within our group and the residency, people should have a work-life balance. Like that shouldn't, my opinion is that shouldn't be a stigma. Like you shouldn't look down on somebody because it's like, look, you know, I want to be able to get home and go to my kids' games and coach them and go on vacations. And when I'm on vacation, like I, I, I want to be able to recharge and rest and not be in the hospital all the time, every time. Cause at the end of the day, that's what's going to burn people out. Right. Or at least contribute to it. And so, you know, having a work-life balance is, is something that residents should have. It's something that pharmacists should have. And at the end of the day, if that's something you're looking for in a job, like good, you know, go to somewhere where, where you can be happy, go to somewhere where you can work. And if you're happy and you have that work-life balance, you're going to do your best work. And if something does pop up and your manager comes to you and says, look, I need you to help out. It's like, yeah, you know, you look out for me, I'll look out for you too. And, and that's really at the end of the day, what patient care and, and the job and a residency and all that stuff should, should be about. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I love like either if I'm interviewing or being interviewed, just ask, getting asked what my hobbies are. Cause I think that is like a nice peek into like, who are you? Like, what, what do you do outside of work? Like, yeah, we get your pharmacist, but like what else? And I think like, I always enjoy kind of talking about running or I, I'm in like a couple book clubs and I, like I could talk about book club, like for an obscene amount of time, that's probably a separate like podcast episode that, but I think that you touched on something that's really important and that's, you know, with so many of us kind of crossing that threshold, you know, that burnout survey that, that went out across, you know, at the transplant group and then seeing how many of our peers kind of moved into industry. I feel like my hope eventually is that that work-life balance comes into the conversation with a lot more seriousness and a lot more focus, I guess, wrapping up for everybody that's kind of in the thick of things for everybody that's you know, celebrating the holidays during this really weird COVID recruitment, 
you know, job hunting, PGY2 hunting season, like what, what like closing thoughts or what things, you know, you guys want to share with kind of the podcast before we wrap up today? I think some thoughts and advice for maybe our current transplant PGY2s who are kind of starting that job search is really to take time to reflect. And I I recognize this can be really hard in the middle of residency, but kind of pausing and thinking about what's going to be important to you in your job search, whether it's location, whether it's city, whether it's type of position, research opportunities, um, to really figure out what what you're looking for and and try to find positions that have as many of those things as as you can find in in one position. Um, And then I think realizing that like everything will work out, you know, it's okay if your co-residents get a job before you, like everything will work out. Like you, you hopefully will find a job by the summer. Um, It it might take a few months longer than you originally planned. And in the timelines, very different than, than residency applications. Um, But definitely just, just stick with it. Keep, keep submitting your applications, keep preparing for interviews. um, You will find that job. I will say uh, for the PGY1s that are looking to apply to PGY2 and transplant, welcome. And for the PGY2s, my class, uh, hang in there. And for the transplant pharmacists that are out there, uh, we're excited to join you. So transplant and everyone in transplant is really wonderful. Transplant is the best place to be. I'd, I'd throw in with that. Just be yourself no matter where you are in that process. And if you, if you don't know who you are, then maybe take some time to, to reflect on that. And um, because transplant's unique, right? Like we have adults, we have peds, we have inpatient, we have outpatient, we have mixed, we have all different organs and, it, and they're all a little quirky and they're all a little different and f- figure out who you are and, and, and find where you feel like you work best and, you know, trust the opinions of those in your inner circle or who you respect. Cause Sometimes you can get unsolicited advice and it, 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 you don't always have to listen to it. And so that's part of that growth of like becoming a professional that maybe is missed on, on a student um, or at least was as me as a student that you get to be selective and you, you get to decide who you're going to be in, in life and in the world of transplant pharmacy as well. I think my main suggestion would be in both a residency and a job, is find somewhere where you fit in. Find somewhere that can provide you what you need as much as you're going to provide that residency or that job with what they need. You know, because there's a lot of different places out there. You can focus on research, patient care. You can focus on patient care and then go on to focus on research. And then when you start looking at jobs, you know, I think... Asking questions about work-life balance is important because the bottom line is if you're not happy at that job, you won't stay at that job. And as employers, I think sometimes we do overlook the value of a work-life balance and we need to be providing both residents and pharmacists a good work-life balance that you know they can live with. Honestly, these are some of the most thoughtful answers I've ever heard. <laughs> like, this is incredible. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I want to do, with... we got to do more couch sessions, man. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about how I would even answer this question. And, you know, obviously, Alicia, you and I would be remiss and not sharing our perspective as well. But, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, oh, I feel like I'd have a different answer for a student, a PGY1, a PGY2. And I feel like hearing all these answers, the, the common thread is, being yourself, being true to yourself and learning about what your needs are and where you're best going to, to have those needs met. You know, it's one of those things where sure you are selling yourself to residency programs. You are selling yourself to jobs and, you know, but, but being selective about it, um, as was mentioned earlier is, is just so very, very important. And this is coming from somebody, you know, I know that, that sometimes my colleagues and I joke, like I've had a few jobs since I've graduated from PGY too had several jobs and it took me a while to figure out exactly what I was looking for and what I needed, you know, but at the end of the day, what I was looking for in my training, if there was any time I felt like I was most true to myself, you know, was, was at that time because I felt like how my path went through, uh, went through residency and, and even throughout my career, like I wouldn't have it any other way, but I would advise any, you know, student residents, you know, going through this. First of all, I do not envy you guys at all. This is not a fun time. 
of life. Um, at the end of the day, it's um, it's it's a time of of a lot of self reflection, a lot of stress. Regardless of if you're on this deadline for the residency programs, or or you're you're like, oh my gosh, like I think right now this is a, a crazy year for transplant jobs. We're seeing new jobs posted on the PRN and and AST. Uh, every day, it seems like. So, you know, it is it is nice that there's opportunity out there, and we're very excited for y'all to to welcome y'all into the fold. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, this is not a fun time. This is stressful. Um, and, you know, the, the only thing that, that kind of rings true throughout all stages of your career is knowing yourself and understanding who you are and who you want to be. I think, you know, especially towards the end of the year, everybody kind of uses it as a large point to look back at themselves and to kind of reflect on, you know, all this last year, like, what did I learn? What did I, what did I change about myself that I think made me a better person? And I think that, you know, everybody goes through that different logic for themselves, you know, in a unique way. And for us too, at the end of the year, you, you have the new year, which is kind of more of like a rebirth or it's like a reset. And it, I always kind of use that new year's energy to kind of be like, okay, well, 2021 happened. You know, obviously I went through a lot, a lot of life changes in 2021 and you kind of come out of it. Okay. And for me, I kind of hang on to the notion that you can't be too hard on yourself. Like everybody's doing their best. So for me, I really tell the residents that I tell the new grads out there and people looking for jobs, like don't sell yourself short for trying your best. We're type A, like everybody's so hard on themselves and they don't show mercy towards themselves in the way that they would show it to others. And I think that you know, especially during this time with how busy it is, giving yourself a little bit of grace kind of in the storm is, I think, a way to to keep sane in it all. And it also gives you that room to say like, oh, okay, like maybe this wasn't the best, you know, approach for me, but, you know, what could I do the next time? And I think it also gives you that common theme of just self-reflection by giving yourself a little bit of room, a little bit of grace. A lot of, a lot of good things can come from that. So I know that our couch session is coming to an end. So I really appreciate everybody coming out. I hope everybody enjoyed uh, listening to our couch session. I hope you got some good stories. You got some hopefully good advice. I definitely good advice. So with that, you know, I thank our panel. I thank Stacy, Brenda, Reed, Sarah. I know this time of year again is like the literal like incarnate of a dumpster fire in terms of like. <laughs> the Google calendar right now. So I appreciate everybody taking the time out of their really busy lives to spend an hour with us chit-chatting about the ghosts of mid-year past. Oh.